So this is, this is the end. We are here. Been here since September. We're at the end of, of Mark's story, page 1024. Now, before we, before we read the ending, um, we just, we just need to clear something up. Um, there is, is, is perhaps, um, or I think it's important to talk about. And that is, when you look at the end of Mark's story of Jesus' life, um, you'll see there are three possible endings to the story. So there on page 1024, you see it ends at verse 8, and, and there's a line uh, underneath it there showing that's the end. But then the footnote, A, gives another alternative ending in an extra verse. And then under the line in italics, there's, there's a third possible ending, verses 9 to 20. And so you might think, well, what is the true ending to the story then? You can't have kind of, you can't have all three, which is, is the right thing. And, and that is an important question for us as Christians. Uh, because we, we read and we believe that the Bible is true history. And that's very important. It's not being made up by people. This stuff is true and real. And so we need to, uh, we need to get it right. We need to know that what we're reading is really what happened and what people wrote down. Um, we need to see that the true ending, as this shows here in the Bible, is verse 8. Um, and so that's where we're going to read, and that's what, what we're going to preach from in a few moments. Um, the, the, other, the other endings are not part of Mark's story, and they shouldn't be regarded by us as scripture. Um, and your question, which is a good question, is, but why are they here then? <laughs> why, why have they been written, if, if that's what you're saying? Why don't we just finish at verse 8? Uh, the absolutely right question. And that is quite simply because the, the people who produce the Bible, uh, they, want, uh, they want to be open about the information they have. They don't want to hide stuff. They want to just be fully transparent and open. And so actually, they've, they've explained it there in square brackets, just under that line. If, if we just read that. It says this. This is a comment from the people who have produced this Bible. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. Let me just explain what that means very briefly. Um, some of you, you don't need to listen. Some of you will be very interested. Mark wrote his story of Jesus' life in the 60s, 64 to 70 AD about 30 years after, after Jesus had, had died and, and risen. Now, we don't have the first original copy of what Mark wrote down. That's called an autograph, because it was literally Mark or maybe his scribe writing the thing down. We, that first original copy is, is lost to, to history, as far as we know. And so you think, well, how do we know what Mark wrote then? <laughs> Another good question. If we haven't got what he wrote, how do we know? Well, what we do have are many copies of what Mark wrote. And many of other New Testament texts. In fact, there's over 5,000 copies of, of, of parts of the New Testament um, that are dated to between 135 and 1200 AD. And those are what we call manuscripts. So the autographs, the original thing written, manuscripts are like the photocopies, if you like, of, of that ancient photocopies. And some of those manuscripts are just a few verses. Some of them, the whole Bible. It just depends, you know, there's different things. And, and, and what you do is you, you can go and compare all of those manuscripts, all of those photocopies, and the remarkable thing is, consistently, they're all saying exactly the same thing. There's not variations and differences. So we want to know what, what Mark wrote. Well, we can read hundreds, possibly thousands of texts from history that say exactly the same things, and uh, have exactly the same words. Uh, and they're from different places and at different times. So we've been confident that what we're reading is, is what Mark wrote. But here's the issue here. The oldest and the most important manuscripts don't have this longer ending. Verses 9 to 20 are not in there. Now this is what, I, I, my best understanding of, of what happened is this. We're going to see in a minute, Mark's ending is 
quite frankly, absolutely mental. <laughs> it's crazy the way he ends the story. It's this really abrupt and kind of weird ending. Now, I think, we've seen the way that Mark writes the story. He's quite kind of maverick and out there, so I think he intended to, to finish it that way. Um, but it's possible that he got disturbed. He was writing in Rome when there was a persecution going on against Christians. People were getting killed. So literally, maybe he was writing and people came in to get him and, you know, he can't write anymore. Um, or, or something else happened meant he wasn't able to finish. Possibly the, the ending got lost kind of in, 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 the, in the earliest copies. But what is certain is that verses 9 to 20 were not written by Mark and they're not his ending to the story. Everyone agrees on that. And so it seems like about 30 or 60 years later, some Christians basically couldn't handle the way that Mark had left the end of his story. Or we need, we need, to, we need to end this a bit better. And so some Christians took it upon themselves to write uh, this alternative ending to kind of you know, tie the knots together and a sense of completion and, and that kind of thing. You can imagine the type of person who do that. Maybe you are that type of person. But then what happened was that was then out there, and so later manuscripts, that got copied and copied and copied. So it's kind of been, that's why we've got it. But whenever it was copied, it always had like a little note or footnote, this is a spurious edition, this wasn't really... And so from the very earliest, it was always kind of recognized in the church, this wasn't really Mark. Now, now the ending that we're not going to read, and you're probably really intrigued about, and you can read it later, um, 9 to 20, it's probably true. True events, it seems mostly taken from some of the other gospel stories and things, so it doesn't mean it's not true, it doesn't mean it's not necessarily accurate, but it's clearly not written by Mark. Um, actually, if you read it later, it's just clearly not Mark's style. He uses loads of words he doesn't use, writes in a totally different way to Mark writes. And so it's not his ending to the story, and it doesn't meet the tests of Scripture. There's some real important tests of Scripture that the early church applied. It doesn't meet those, and so we shouldn't regard it as Scripture. We shouldn't be reading and preaching it today, which is what we're doing. Is that okay? We're, yeah. What we're not doing. Okay, yeah, I got myself, tied myself up there. Um, any questions now on that? You can totally grab me later. As I say, I'm sorry if that's so boring to you, but for some, I think that's quite helpful just to, to, um, to look at that. Um, what we're going to do is, um, Bobby's going to come and read um, what is Mark sending to us, and then we're going we're gonna to stand and sing a song. Uh, before we before we look um, and look into that in more detail together, uh, Mark sixteen one through eight. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought uh, spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early in the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, "Who will roll a stone away from the entrance of the tomb?" But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they, they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Christ, would all glory be to you. Would we always sing of your rule and your reign because you are the one who has risen and you are the king who is coming. Thank you that this morning we celebrate your new work in this world, your resurrection life with his an ongoing work today, Lord, please 
Would you root that into our hearts and into our very lives, that we may be resurrection-shaped people? For your glory, we pray. Amen. Great, please do, please do grab seats. So this is it, the end of, of, um, of Mark's story of, of Jesus' life. And I guess if you were, most life stories or, or most biographies written by someone would end with the death of, of the person. And often reflections maybe on what that person had achieved, what their legacy was, what you could learn from their life. And of course, Mark doesn't finish that way, does he? Because with Jesus, it is very different. And actually, I want us just to turn back and see how Mark started his story of Jesus. So if you would turn back to page 1002, quickly, just keep your, um, keep your finger in 1023. But look at 1002 to the very beginning of Mark's story of Jesus. This is how he chooses to open up. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now that isn't just Mark saying, this is how I'm starting my story of Jesus, but it's saying that the story of Jesus is a new beginning. There is a new thing happening in this man who is God called Jesus. This is the beginning of a new era. A new thing is happening. A new work of God. And so as we come to the end, that, that's all we need for 1002, you can come back to, to Mark 16. As we come to the end uh, of the story, we see that there is unfinished business that Jesus is all about. In fact, I think that's why Mark leaves this story unfinished for us. Jesus is not this dead thing that's done and dusted in the history books, but no, he is a living and reigning man, a king, a person. And so the story today continues. The beginning is still unfolding. The new era is still here. And the question for us to get to grips with today, I think, on this Easter day is, how does that change our lives? How does that change our lives? You see, we've seen it with the kids already. But let's just remember that resurrection is a surprising thing. Yeah? It's surprising today, right? We should be surprised this morning. And it was certainly surprising back then as well. It has always been and always will be surprising. You know, it could be that you're surprised to be in, in, in a church today with people who, who seem fairly ordinary, maybe. Um, maybe some decent, I don't know. Um, and perhaps even one or two people here are intelligent. Certainly not everyone. But there, there, are, there are one or two. I mean, we've got some people with master's degrees and all sorts of things, you know. Uh, but it may be surprising to hear kind of this room of people here who believe in the historical, the physical, the real resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, and so much so that people would build their whole life on that very claim and that very reality and that very truth. Or, or maybe as a Christian you may be surprised that this single event in history is the fact on which your faith stands or falls. It didn't happen. It falls. Yeah, if it did, it stands strong. I think a problem is that we think um, people back then weren't or wouldn't have been surprised. You know, they're a bit primitive and a bit stupid. They were gullible. Easily taken in by a story, people back then. 
we're not like that now, are we? We're not easily taken in by a story. Or, or we think that in their grief they hallucinated a resurrection of their good friend because they wanted it to be true or whatever else. But no, I want to suggest that these women who first hear of this resurrection in Mark 16, they respond just like we would. They respond just like we would. They're pretty rational in their response to something that comes so far out of left field for them. It is a total and utter surprise. You see, for what, what happens for them, it is totally unexpected. These three women here are in mourning. Mark's shown us how they've seen with their own eyes that Jesus, um, Jesus, uh, was killed on a cross. Mark told us in chapter 15 that they, they watched the crucifixion from a distance. They saw it. They saw him die. And then we also saw, and we looked at this on Friday, that, that they watched as Joseph laid the body of Jesus in the tomb. Again, they were witnesses of that. They saw it. They knew which tomb it was. They saw the dead body being laid, wrapped and laid, lifeless. And so they're in mourning because their great friend and their great leader, this, this man, Jesus, they put such hope in, is dead and buried. They have no sense of expectancy. No sense of hope. For them, this is the end. And so that's why we read that on, on that Saturday evening of the first Easter, these three women, they go out and they spend their money on spices. They go and buy spices to, to anoint the body. And this is their, if you like, their, their kind of final act of loving devotion. Yes, Jesus has gone, but we can honor him in his death. And so they, 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 they go to get the spices so that they can, um, so they can kind of cover up the stench of decay by perfuming the body, basically. And they're so kind of moved that they want to complete what is quite a horrible task because two days of decay on a dead body is, is not a nice place to be. Just think that would be a complete waste of money and time and effort if they were thinking about and expecting or, or resurrection. No, these, these are women in grieving and in mourning doing the usual Jewish rituals around that. Uh, and then early on that Sunday morning, uh, as they head to the tomb, they're, they're clearly in a somber mood. They've got loads of unanswered questions. And we read in verse 3 that they're, they start fretting about who's going to roll this, this huge burial stone away from the tomb. And so that you can, you can kind of hear them getting worked up and, and anxious about that. And they're just kind of, it just seems like everything is, is, is heavy and on top of them. You see, their guy friends, Jesus' friends, the men, they're nowhere to be seen on this Easter morning. Johnny told us the other day, they're there in hiding. They're scared that they're next from the Romans and the Jews. So they're not really expecting a resurrection. Either are they? They're kind of they're just going to save their skin at this stage. Now, sure, Jesus had told them repeatedly. We've read it through Mark's story that he would rise again from the dead. But but I think what happened was they were so shocked because he always did it when he was talking about the fact he's going to go and die to rescue them. And they always have arguments with him about the death thing. And they seem so consumed and so caught up by that and so shocked by this death stuff that I think the resurrection thing is just kind of straight over their heads. Just totally misses them. And, and so as they come to the tomb on this, this first Easter Sunday, they aren't expecting anything other than to do the horrible task of perfuming a dead body and laying him to rest. But they get a whole host of massive surprises. This is why we need to see it is such a surprise. Surprises that change the whole course of history. So we read in verse 4. 
that, that they see that that huge stone that, that they wouldn't have been able to move themselves has been rolled away and that kind of takes them back. Uh, and then they come closer to the tomb and, uh, and they look in and there is a body in there, but it's not Jesus, it's this young man. And this young, strong, healthy man. And, and the other writers uh, of historical accounts of this tell us it's an angel. And, and that's pretty shocking, isn't it? And then, and then he says to them, don't be alarmed. Jesus is not here, he's risen. And that's pretty shocking, isn't it? And this isn't a hallucination, but it's real. He says, look, you're going to go and meet him in Galilee, hundreds of miles from here. There's going to be, you're going to have a chance to meet this man and, and spend time with him. This isn't just kind of a one-off kind of, oh, I thought I saw a ghost over there kind of thing. think, of course they're alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You're off your rocker. Do you see what's going on here? <laughs> Got angels and, and, and claims of dead bodies risen and, and just these weird things happening. It's madness. I kind of knocked for six. And they're absolutely terrified. They're absolutely terrified. And do you know what? Have you been here for Mark's story? Haven't we seen that before? How many times have we seen that people encounter and see something about Jesus, something true about him, and they're terrified? His friends were terrified when Jesus, they're in this, this massive squall, this storm on, on the lake, and Jesus, by just a word, calms it. And Mark says his friends are terrified. Who is this man? The people from this, this region of Gerasenes um, plead with Jesus to leave them uh, and leave their region. Because Jesus has just come in and he's cast out this, this demon, this group of demons out of this man who is like the biggest, baddest, most horrible person they ever knew. He had terrorized that town for years. And Jesus comes in with a greater and a stronger power and casts demons out. And this man is sorted out and they, they are fearful and terrified. They say, get away from us, your power. Or, or there's the woman who comes to Jesus trembling with fear after this, this chronic illness and uh, and, and debilitating illness she's had for over a decade. Jesus heals in an instant. Or his friends again are terrified when they see Jesus walking on the sea in the middle of the night and they look and they're, and they're fearful of him. Or his closest friends as they go up the mountain with Jesus and just for a few moments they see the full beauty and glory of his heavenly glory. And we read that they tremble and they are full of fear. You see, when we see and when we encounter who Jesus really is, we do fear and we do tremble. And on this day of all days, we fear and we tremble. A holy, reverent fear, not a being scared and, 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 and kind of pulling back from necessarily. This one who is so powerful, so full of life, so indestructible that even death shrinks back from him. Even death just lets go and releases him. And in that, he defeats our biggest enemy. So yes, an appropriate response is alarm and is fear and is shock and is awe. After all, someone has risen from the dead. Who is this man? Who is he? So so verse 8, Mark's ending of his story. I think these women are just, yeah, completely right in how they respond. Trembling, bewildered. Bewildered. 
They run away scared. They run away scared. I'd be exactly the same. I just felt I probably wouldn't have even been there. They were braver than me. Let's not lose the surprise of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's not be ashamed of the surprise of it. It's exactly because resurrection doesn't happen in our experience, because it is impossible, because it is out of the ordinary, that it's so surprising and it is so amazing and it is so life-transforming. And that is because it is only the beginning. This isn't a one-off event that happened. No, this is the beginning. This is the start of something new, a new era. But, but this Mark leaving us with this cliffhanger of an ending. And it is shocking and abrupt. These women basically fleeing, silent, scared. It's quite interesting. There's no actual resurrection appearance of Jesus that Mark records for us, is there? Which you kind of think is kind of key to, to the plot. <laughs> There's just this report of the resurrection and, and these women fleeing. And, and we've got to see that although... I, I completely understand their response. It is not the right response. Because the angel has said in verse 7, go and tell. And they flee and keep shut up. <laughs> Complete opposite. See, the time has come now for this message of Jesus to be spread, for, for the message to be shared. These women are to start this great commission that is given to the church. Go into the world and tell people about Jesus and what he has done. And what you need to do in response to him. But we read of seven different negative responses in verse 8 as they kind of, as they tremble and flee and, and, and whatever else. Uh, and you could be left thinking at the end of Mark's story, well, what did happen next? Did, did they meet Jesus? Did they stay quiet? Did, you know, was this just the end of the story? Well, of course not. <laughs> So as, as Mark writes this story, I said earlier, it was about 30 years later that he wrote down this story of the life of Jesus. He's writing in Rome. Uh, and this new beginning of the great news of Jesus has been unfolding as Christians all over the Middle East and Turkey uh, and Europe and North Africa are sharing with others this good news about Jesus having raised from the dead. Jesus died for your sins and he's raised, risen from the dead. The very fact that we're here today celebrating Easter, we're singing these songs about Jesus risen. We're, we're reading this, this, this bit of history from the Bible about these true events. We're, we're learning about what happened that day. Shows that the story has continued. That this new beginning of this Jesus story is still unfolding even today. You know, the woman could have just got on with life kind of done their grieving in their mourning, been sad for a bit and moved on, unaffected by this news this morning. But clearly, clearly something happened. Something happened that convinced them that Jesus really did rise and that changed everything for them. Now Mark is not finishing up his story with loads of answers for us, but he's finishing up with loads of unanswered questions. And then leaving those questions with us as the reader, he's kind of, he's drawing you in. He's tying you into the story. Because this new beginning continues, this new era is here. And so the question for us is almost the same as it was for these women. Are we just going to get on with our lives unaffected? We're just going to be like, oh, that was a nice Easter service. Just get on, move on. 
What's on tomorrow? Or will we be drawn in and engaged by this story? If we need to, will we investigate these purported events? Will we maybe do some historical looking into this stuff? Find out the truth? Or if we're convinced of it, will we go and tell? Or will we kind of flee and shut up? See, Mark doesn't, Mark doesn't tell us, but the other historical accounts in the Bible do tell us what happened with these women after this. How they went and shared with others later that day. Listen, you'll never guess what happened at the tomb this morning. Let us tell you. And those people and those women shared with others, who shared with others, who shared with others, hundreds in those early days, hundreds had the opportunity to come and meet this physical risen Jesus in that first month or so after this day. They shared meals with him, they chatted with him, they hung out with him, they talked with him. All sorts of different ways that he engaged with different people. Clearly, it was, it was initially a, a, a surprise. But, it, but that grew into some real life-changing conviction. Uh, and the great news of Jesus rising from the dead just spread uh, and spread out across the world. And then it spread down through history. And so millions since, though yet not physically met the risen Jesus, have heard, have believed, and have encountered him. And have encountered his risen power in their lives. Even many of us here today know that experience. You see, it's the story continuing. It's the gospel spreading. It's Jesus' kingdom growing. It's popular today uh, to think of Jesus' resurrection like it's a myth. This kind of, this made-up story, this make-believe story. And it's good for Christians because it kind of helps them. It's a nice story to believe that, that might help you through the tragedies of life. But it's not true and it's not real. But that doesn't really matter because that's not what Christianity is about. It's just about making you feel better. It's kind of a popular kind of level opinion, I think, on this. But that doesn't explain so many things. It doesn't explain the change in these women. It doesn't explain the rapid growth of the church through the first century. It doesn't explain the willingness of all of Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, to suffer for their whole lives for the belief that he was risen from the dead, and most of them to die defending that very belief. Very unlikely to do that for something that either um, you know is not true or, or is a myth. And so it doesn't take, also doesn't take seriously the claims of, of what Mark's written here, our, our historical source. This isn't a story that's kind of this sensationalized, headline-grabbing kind of all the action, all the power of the resurrection. It's quite ordinary, a matter of a fact, and kind of played down a bit like the cross was. You've got the same three witnesses who have traced through the story at different points, who have seen the different things in key different parts of the story, clearly not confused. You've got little eyewitness details here. Even the fact that it's the women that are the first witnesses in that culture, if you were kind of fabricating or making up a story, was not... The, the way to, to get a story that was convincing for people. Now, this is an event in history that is a new beginning. And it's not just an event in history, but it's the whole tide of history turning. It's an event from out of this world that actually brings the start of a new world. So, yes, it's surprising. But also, it makes us happy. I mean, that's a, a really dumbed-down way of trying to explain it to the children. And I don't want to be crass with the suffering and pain that we feel. But it does bring such joy. 
Whatever we face, there is a day when Jesus rose from the dead in history. There is a hope. There is a certainty. There is a confidence. There is a peace. Whatever we face. So here's the question that I want to kind of leave us with as we finish Mark's Gospel. The question is this. Is your life a compelling case for the resurrection of Jesus? Is the way that you live your life a compelling case for the resurrection of Jesus? If you like, is the story continuing in you? Does your life scream out that something so incredible, something so life-transforming, something quite frankly surprising has happened in history that has changed the whole world for you? See, these women that morning had an encounter that stopped them in their tracks. It kept them from going about business as usual, and it changed something in them and for them. Yeah, at first, alarmed, bewildered, terrified, but then full of joy and happiness, courage and conviction and confidence and hope and power and, and, and the ability to, and resources to, to, to sacrifice and to suffer and to persevere and to have joy and to serve others. Actually, the, the men too are brought into this as well because there's this little just hint in verse 7 as Jesus says, go and get Peter and the men and tell them to come follow. Remember, these are the guys that had bailed on Jesus in his hour of need when he's, when he's dying. Now imagine that. He's back, he's back alive and he wants to meet with you, the guy you've just totally let down. <laughs> Be quaking. But of course, he's calling them to him so they will follow him. So he can restore them. So he can give them new confidence and conviction and power and hope and joy and life and can commission them. See, Jesus today still calls us to follow him and to follow his way. That's what Mark is all about. That's why we've kind of called this series Jesus and his way. It's about Jesus. And we've seen Jesus. We've seen how different and how amazing he is. How he's the awesome son of God and he comes in power and authority and he's shown it in a, just so many different ways in so many different, to so many different people in Mark's story. And yet at the same time, that Jesus said that he had come. This is how he described his life mission. He had come to give his life as a ransom for many. And so even whilst this amazing God-man was doing all of these incredible things, he was talking about the fact that his life mission was to go and hang himself on a cross to die, to save people from their sins. And now here at the end of the story, he has risen and he is living and his mission continues. And so we've, we've seen Jesus, but we've also seen his way uh, and the way that he causes people on. We've, we've, we've heard him say to us, take up your cross and follow me. Come and follow me on a path of much suffering. Come and follow me on a path of much self-denial. But on a path of faith and a path of hope and a path where we experience joy and know love and comfort and peace and contentment and fruitfulness. And so we've got Jesus and we've got his way. And quite frankly, it just looks very ordinary in daily life. Church this morning looks pretty ordinary. Maybe it feels pretty ordinary. But this is the life of the new beginning. This is the life of the new world that Jesus started on that first Easter when he rose from the dead. This is a life that lasts 
forever and ever. This is the life of, life of fullness that we experience in part now. But through the other side of death, we experience in all of its joy and glory. Easter morning and the resurrection of Jesus starts for us, promises to us, and delivers for us a world where all of our wrongs, all of our sins are forgiven. A world where death is defeated. A world where all suffering and all pain is gone. A world where we experience the fullness of life as God has intended to intended it for us. And this is, this is what we celebrate. This is what we enjoy. Not just that Jesus is risen, but in him we too are risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the risen and you are the conquering and you are the mighty king. We praise you and we thank you for your resurrection. What a surprising thing to happen in time and space and history. What an incredible thing to happen. Changes the whole course of the world. And it can change the whole course of our world if we, by faith, put our trust in you and your death and resurrection. As we as we want to enjoy and receive and celebrate that today, Lord, please would you also root that into our lives, that our lives are a living, speaking demonstration that yes, Jesus is risen from the dead. And yes, it makes people so, so happy. Amen.